Last week, if you were with us, we kind of started our Christmas series here at Ethos for three weeks, we're kind of looking at the story of, of, of God coming near to us. And so if you're with us last week, we started in Luke 2 and worked our way a few, uh, few of the verses. And if you weren't with us, I just kind of want to recap kind of what, what happened. You can go back and listen to the podcast if you want. But we talked about the, the journey that was taking place in the first century. Um, this man named Caesar Augustus, who was in charge of the entire Roman world, you know, everyone was under the influ- influence of, of Rome, and he issued this decree that everyone should go to their hometown to register. And so, you know, this little insignificant woman, Mary, and her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, made their, their, the journey to Bethlehem, which was David's hometown. And while they were there, if you remember this, the time came for, for Mary to give birth in and, and, and this little barn in the middle of nowhere. And it says that the shepherds were, were out in the field and these angels show up and rejoicing and, and all that was happening. And, and it was just this beautiful story last week of, of God making this declaration that he has come to do something for mankind. Is this great declaration that through Jesus, God has come to save and to be with his people. And so last week was about declaration and this week, the second part of the story is about discovering discovering this Jesus who has come to save, discovering, experiencing, beholding, seeing, knowing, loving. Last week was about declaration. This week is about discovery. You know, before we jump into the second part of Luke chapter two, uh, I want you to think about the joy. Um, I want you to think about the satisfaction that you've experienced in your personal life when, when you have discovered something that, that you've just sought so, so hard for. It's like, Kimberly, I want you to think about a time in your life when you wanted something so bad and you worked for it and you strove for it. Kelly, I want you to think about a time in your life where where there was something that you wanted and you set your heart to to finding it. Think about a time in your life where you just sought after something and think about the joy of of holding, of of having that which you worked so hard for. You know, for some of you guys, this was um, getting that girl that you liked that wouldn't give you the time of day the satisfaction that you experience the first time that although like you kept asking her out to dinner, she kept saying no, the satisfaction of when she finally said yes and you got to sit down with her and have dinner. Think about the joy in that moment of, of finally getting the thing that you longed so long for. Or for that degree or for that job or for getting that gig, whatever it is. Think about the, the thing that, that you worked so hard for and then finally getting to hold it. Think about the joy. Talked to one of my good buddies last Sunday. He used to be a part of Ethos, and he's a part of another great church here in Nashville. And he called me last week, and he said, hey, I got some great news to share. He said, I'm 37 years old. He said, I've been married for a long time. He said, my, my, my wife and I have not been able to have kids. And he said, after three failed in um, vitro um, um, trials, he said, after three fails, he said, we're, we're finally pregnant with, with twins. And he was just talking to me the other line. He, just, he couldn't hold back the tears. He was just crying. And I was just thinking about so often we, we miss the joy that comes when something that we long for, something that we search for finally becomes ours. And I love the story that we're going to be in this morning in Luke chapter 2. Um, because in this story, these people discover God. That, that God isn't just a myth to be ascertained. He's not just a fact to be stored away. That the, what I love about the Christmas story is that God makes this declaration that Christ has come. And the second part of the story is that in this story, people discover the Christ who has come. 
And what I hope that we see this morning, what I hope that we, we believe and we understand what we come at this text with this morning is that this is not just a story about what God did a long time ago in moving some people to discover Christ, that, that this is our story, that, that our God is still in the business of, of moving you, Will, and you, Jess. He is still in the, the business of moving you, Lauren. He is still in the business of moving our neighbors and our family and friends and the nations to discover Christ the Lord. That this is not just some made up story. This is true and it's unfolding right in front of us. And so I love this story. I want to kind of read starting in verse eight. Um, for those of you who weren't here last week to kind of recap, I'm going to read uh, verses eight through 21. And so I just invite you to, to bear with me. To let the, the beauty of the story kind of wash over you. Jesus has just been born. Mary and Joseph are in the the stable, they're in this little sacred room holding Jesus, and it says in verse eight, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks at night. Picture this, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and the shepherds were terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company, the heavenly hosts, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left him, I love this, and gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, when they had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they'd been told. And so this is a word of God from Luke chapter two. So here's what's happening. The, the, the shepherds are on night shift and these angels show up to them in the, in the middle of their work, is in the, in the middle of, uh, of them working. They have this incredible message. They say that today a savior has been born. That today God has come near to you. That today salvation has come. That today God has taken note of your situation and he's moved in the neighborhood to do something about it. And I just kept thinking about this story that is unfolding in, the, in, in Luke chapter 2 and how this is like a mysterious and even a mystical experience, right? Like, let's just read this and, and like, read this like you're reading any other book or any other magazine. I want you to, to think about how strange this would be if we read this in any other context besides the Bible, that, that you hear a story about some people working on the night shift and then all of a sudden angels rip the heavens open and start singing. That's mysterious. It's mystical, right? For most of us, this is so distant. This is so foreign to our experiences. It's like red. I don't know if all of your story, but, um, but I bet your story's a lot like mine, that you didn't have one of these incredible over-the-top moments where you're just laying in bed one night, and, and the reason you believe in God is because someone tore your roof open, and it was angels that said, Rhett, God is real, right? Like, and I think so often we, we read stories like this, and because it's so foreign, so distant, we have such a hard time believing it. Because it doesn't relate directly to our experiences, and so many of us, we don't have an over-the-top moment like this. 
yeah, what I've come to see, what I've come to believe in walking with people in ministry, you know, for about the past 10 years, is that our God works in some very mysterious and even mystical ways to advance each of us down the path of discovering the realness of Jesus. Have you ever had a moment in your life where something just happened and it just seemed so coincidental in the moment? Something happened and it was just like so strange. It was like someone was reading your mail. Maybe you can look back now and you can go, oh, I think that was God. But if you're in a moment where something so strange happened to you and you were just kind of taken back by it, or maybe you, you weren't affected at all, just kind of washed over you. I don't expect you to have a quick recollection right now, like recalling all the details, but I'd, I'd love for you to think about that some this week and this Christmas season to, to think about a time in your life where, where maybe something of, of God was trying to get your attention, something mysterious, something mystical. I want to share a story to maybe get your wheels turning to just kind of help us see how God sometimes chooses to work to get us on the path to discovering Jesus and how it doesn't always look like these crazy over-the-top angel moments. Courtney and I moved into our house uh, three and a half years ago, and uh, one of the things that I love about where we live is that our, our next-door neighbor, he's not a believer, he doesn't believe in Jesus, and um, yet, man, he and I just have such a good friendship, like, Every time I'd go out of town, he'd come over and take care of our dog. And every time I'd go out to check the mail, he'd come out and say hi. Just this friendly, just this friend of mine. And one of the things I'd love to do is <clears throat> we'd sit in our backyard at night. And, and, you know, he knew I was a believer. And so I would talk about God. And he would tell me about why he didn't believe. And, you know, remember just this one night we were sitting in our rocking chairs in the backyard. And he says, Brandon, he says, I just don't believe in God. Like, I read the stories in the scripture and they just don't make any sense to me. Like, he said, I've been praying. I, I keep asking God, God, would you just, would you show me that, that you're real? Would you show me that you're hearing my prayers? Would you show me that, that my prayers aren't just like vanishing up into the clouds? Would you show me that, that you're on the receiving end of my prayers? And he says, Brandon, he says, I keep praying and God keeps doing nothing. I just had one of these moments. I don't know if you had a moment like that where it was like the God was just kind of giving me some words in real time to say to him. And I go, I go do, you, do you think it's ironic coincidence that, that you've been praying for God to show himself, for God to move into the neighborhood, for, for God to answer your prayers, and then all of a sudden a family of Christians move right next door to you? And I'm like, hear me, like, we are not God, but, but we believe in the living God. And do you think that, that maybe God, one of the ways that he's answering your prayers is to, to put people in your life who will walk with you and point you and love you and be there for you? Remember him coming over to our house one night, and many of you guys have heard this story before, but um, he knocks on our front doors late at night. I'm like, that's strange. No one ever knocks on our door late at night. And, and it's him, and he um, opened the door, and he said, hey, he said, um, I'm going out of town for a few days, if you don't mind getting the mail. And he just kind of stood there, and I'm like, yeah, I'd love to do that. And he just kind of stood there quietly, awkwardly. I'm like, is there something else? And he said, yeah. He said, I've been thinking. He said, I, I believe that if, if there is a God, that he has put you and your family next door to us to, to help me find him. And it's been cool because my friend's not a believer yet. He just moved to Knoxville, you know, about a half a year ago. I don't know why anyone would move to Knoxville, but he did. And he got, things were getting too heavy in the room. I had to bring it down a little bit. And 
And he, he moved to, to Knoxville and I was talking to him and he, one of the very first things that he did when he moved to Knoxville is he, he looked up a preacher there so he could start a friendship with. And I go, man, the, the, the works of God are not always just moments where he, he peels the heavens back. The, the work of God is so often about the people that, that God will use in our lives. And, and I want you to think about some of the mysterious coincidental moments in your life that maybe God has been working through to point you on the path to discovering Jesus. I believe that when, when you and I, when we're willing to think deeply about some of the things that have happened in our own lives, that seem coincidental, I believe that's when stories like this, when we understand that these weren't just stories about things that God did, but things that God is still doing. And I just wanna say, you know, if. If you spend all week and you go, man, I don't have any of these moments. I don't have any of those mysterious coincidental moments. I just want to say, that's totally okay. That this is going to be the reality for some of you. You're going to look and, and you're not going to have any just like big moments. And, and although I believe that these moments are important, they are not, the, they are not what is most important. And, and don't let that stop you from discovering, from advancing down the path to discovering God. Don't let the, the lack of supernatural touchdowns in your life keep you, keep you from discovering the realness of Jesus, okay? Now, let's keep going. I, I love this. In verse 16, they said, let's go to Bethlehem. And in verse 16, they said, so they hurried off. The shepherds hurried off. You know, they, they, they took some initiative some assertiveness was displayed by the shepherds that, that they weren't content with just some of these mysterious experiences. They wanted to see what they led to. They wanted to see what was on the other, what was on the other side of them. You know, the, the, the risk that these shepherds, these men, these women, the risk that they took in exploring what had been revealed to them and a lot of times we, we, we miss details like this. We brush over them. But I believe that some of the risks that, that they took in that moment where, where God started touching down in their life and they decided to, to, to move closer towards discovery, to investigate the things that had been revealed to them, there was some very real risk. You know, many of you come into this place this morning and and all of us, God has us on a journey. Every single one, if you're in this place, you're on a journey with God. Every person in this world is on a journey with God, whether they know it or not, whether you understand it or not. And the risk for us to move closer to discovering Jesus are real. You know, what are, what are people going to think? Some of you come in this place and you're not Christians, but yet you look at your life and you go, man, God has been peppering my life with all these moments, with all these in instances. And, and there's just this very real risk. What's your family gonna think? What are your friends gonna think? What's your fraternity gonna think? What are the people in your life that, that respect you? What are they gonna think if, if you move towards a path of discovering Jesus? Or for some of us, you know, it's the risk of, what if I discover nothing? You know, it's easy to, to come in here sometimes and, and to sing a few songs and to hear a sermon. Not a whole lot of risk there. There's some risk. But man, if, if I set my heart, if I really set my eyes and my target on, on God, on discovering, if I open my life to his realness, what if, if there's nothing on the other side? 
And my fear is that for a lot of us, because we, we don't see God pursuing us in our lives, for a lot of us, because we are, are so fearful, we just, we shut the door. We, we stop the journey. We, we close off. We, whatever you want to describe it as, we, we, we say stop. And the sad part about this is that, man, when we are, are paralyzed by our fear, when, when, when you and I are, are, are unaware to keep pursuing God, even though we don't see him pursuing us, we, we miss Jesus. Yet he is so near and so good. Verse 16, this is beautiful. It says, so they hurried off. They took some initiative. They took the risk and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. You know, the process of discovering Jesus, finding Jesus in the story was so intriguing to me. I read this earlier this week. I've read the story before, and I've always just kind of pictured their, their pursuit, their uh, attempt to discover if, um, if God was real, if, if Christ really was born in that stable. I always kind of pictured this being very effortless. But the reality is, you know, in, in Bethlehem, with way more people than normal, this pursuit of finding God, of discovering God, probably wasn't easy. Here's what I mean. I, I doubt the first house they went to was where Jesus was. They knew that he was in Bethlehem and that he would be laying in a manger. And all a manger is is an animal feeding trough. It's a big dog bowl for us. Seriously. And it'd be like me saying to you, Hey, he's over in Creve Hall. So think about Creve Hall, those of you guys who know Creve Hall, or think about East Nashville. If you don't know Creve Hall, think about East Nashville. It'd be like me saying to you, he's in Creve Hall, and he's in one of those separate storage sheds out back. I don't know the last time you went to Creve Hall, like every other house has a separate storage shed out back. You know, in a world where, where families, where the, the people who were living in the first century, they had, they had cows and goats and sheep to, and chickens to, to support their own family so that they could eat. They had to have a way to feed them. And I can imagine that, that more families than not had a manger. And I can imagine that the shepherds really had to put themselves out there to find Jesus. I bet on that night, they knocked on a lot of doors and they asked a lot of questions before they found him. And I think we miss this in the story, but it's too important to miss. I think so often we, we think that finding Jesus, discovering Jesus should be easy. I say one prayer and then boom, I believe. <laughs> Or I come to church one time and then boom, I believe. And for some of you, that is your experience. And that's amazing. But I'll just tell you, that's not been my experience. I've spent and I continue to spend a lot of time metaphorically knocking on doors, searching for God. Spend a lot of time praying on my knees. A lot of times searching the scriptures. I 
I pray, spend a lot of time having coffee with people who are further down the journey than I am. And I spend a lot of time having coffee and lunch with people who aren't believers. Because I want to know. I want to search this thing out. I want to investigate. I've spent a lot of my life looking and searching and pursuing God. And for me, it's not just been this one prayer that I prayed and all of a sudden God's become real. God's become near to me. You know the word in verse 16, it says when they found, it's the word eurisco in Greek in the original language, and it means to find while seeking. And I wonder if for some of us the, the reason that we have not found God is because we refuse to seek him. That we keep telling ourselves, we keep telling our friends, we keep telling whoever that, that we'll believe if, if God will come knocking for, on our door. But if we have to search, if we have to throw ourselves out there, if we have to take any risk, then we're not about it. I love, though, that this story is not just about them seeking Jesus. The story is about them finding and discovering. In the story, it said that when they had seen him, when they laid eyes on God. I love this. Because this is what every single one of us was made for. Each and every one of us was made to discover Jesus. That he's not just some myth, that he's not just some character in the Bible, he's, he's real. And he's alive and he loves us so very much. And he's powerful and all things are under his authority and sovereignty that he is so near to us. And we are made to discover him. You might be asking me, yeah, I'm interested in discovering God, but, but how do I do that? How do I discover God? Like, Brandon, I keep coming. I've been coming to Ethos for three years. I've been a part of house church for six years. I've, I've read my Bible four times. I pray every night. And, and I, I don't believe. I don't see God. I can't feel God. It's like there's this wall. What, what is going on in my life? And I can't answer all your faith questions. I can't speak into all the, the, the beautiful things that God is forming, the journey that he's taking you on. But I can tell you this. I, I think what it looks like in our lives to discover Jesus is that you and I come to the point where, where we believe and we receive this truth that Christ came to earth for us. That I think what it means to discover Jesus is that, when we, is that we understand that, that Jesus Christ really came and he set foot on this earth and he died and he rose again. It's when we believe, when we receive, when we take it into the deepest parts of our hearts that Christ really came, that, that he really did forgive us, that he has come to heal us, to show us what God is like, to show us that from God's perspective, you and I are loved and valued. And I think what it means to discover Jesus is that we receive this truth that he came to save me, that he came to save you. You know, Andrew said to me on Thursday, it's this reality that if, if, if you were the only person on the planet that needed saving, God would have laid it all down for you. And I think so often we, we picture discovering God, we, we think about it being this crazy angelic moment. And isn't it true that we all want this moment? Like there's not a person in this room, I don't think, that, that if I said, hey, would you like for this to be your story? 
Would you like to know beyond a shadow of a doubt? Would you have liked to have a, a part of your story, part of the, your testimony that, man, you were working the night shift over at Vanderbilt one night, and all of a sudden, the, the angel showed up, and, and from that point forward, you knew that God was real. We all want this story. And yet, God doesn't always touch down in our lives like this. But he has given each of us Jesus. Jesus who died for our sins, who rose again to show us that our sins don't condemn us any longer. And I believe that discovering Jesus is about receiving forgiveness of all of our sins. Friday morning, I woke up super early. I woke up at 4.12, just couldn't fall back asleep. I was just laying in bed and uh, it was just this weird journey that I was having with, um, with God, kind of just laying there, courts asleep, my kids are asleep. And I just started thinking about like my sinful past. All the people I've heard, all the things that I've done, all the rebellion, all the immorality, all the pride, all the lust. And, and if just being completely honest, so many times like, I don't even want to go in that place in my own heart because it just hurts so bad. Like thinking about the person that I was, the things that I did, oh, and it just grieves me to the core. And yet for whatever reason, it was like God was just kind of inviting me to, to think about those things. And I laid there for about 45 minutes thinking, and at the end of that journey, it was like God was saying to me, Brandon, all those things, you have been forgiven because of me. All those things that you've done, I've covered, and they've been dealt with. So you don't have to live in fear that I'm gonna bring these up again. You don't have to live in shame that your story, your life has been covered by my life. That all the dark places in your life, I've shined my light. And my heart was just like being filled with, with gratitude and thankfulness that I don't have to spend the rest of my life on earth kicking myself and grieving over all the things that I've done, but I can spend the rest of my life being filled with gratitude for a savior who would come to forgive me. And it's in this place that we start to discover Christ when we understand that, that he's come to set us free, to save us. Let's keep going. Verse 17, it says, and, and when the shepherds had seen him, when they, when they had seen him, when they discovered the realness of God, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And I go, man, what had the shepherds been told? What had been said to the shepherds? You can go back and read this in kind of verses 8 through 12, 8 through 13. They'd been told that salvation has come. That, that God has come near, that God has moved into the neighborhood, not to destroy, but to save. Not because he's angry, but to bring liberation. He's come for, for our freedom and our joy, to give us abundant life. He has come as one who's, who, who wants to walk with us. This was a message that was proclaimed to the shepherds. This was the message that the shepherds took and started proclaiming to the world. And I just kept thinking, what happened? What has happened in America? 
What has happened in our world? How has this gospel message that broke into our lives, and for those of us who are Christians, how has that gospel message that has changed us, how, how does that same message not just flow out of us? Like Cyrus, when you were so far from God, he came and he rescued you. And Jonathan, the same thing is true of you. And, and Tara, the same thing is true of you. And Nathan and Matt. And, and for all of us who follow Jesus, Rob, that, that Christ came and he saved us. And yet there's something about that message that we just keep harboring in our heart, right? And I don't say this to shame us or guilt us, but we can talk about the most casual, we can talk about the weather, we can talk about sports, those things just flow out of us. But how in the world does the greatest news of all time, how does that not flow out of us easy? And I'm right there with us. I'm the worst. Or you look about in our world and, and you see how the, the message that comes out of Christians, that comes out of churches, uh, the, the message that resounds out of them so often gets twisted and turned and the world gets this distorted picture of who God is. I was talking to a friend a couple months ago. I felt like God was asking me to approach them and just ask them if they believe in God. And so I asked you know, I just went up to them and I said, hey, you know, it sounds strange. I just want to know, do you, um, do you believe in God? And she said, well, you know, I, I believe in a higher power, that there's some you know, spiritual energy, that there's some things going on in our universe. And I said, well, do you, do you believe in Jesus? And she said, no. And I said, do you, ask, do you mind if I ask you why? She said, yeah. She said, I grew up um, going to church and She said, it was a great experience for me. She said, I even went on this, this trip to go to a different part of the world and to, to serve people and to, to take care of their needs. And came back and her family decided to switch churches. And she said, I remember the preacher telling me one day that I was going to hell. That I didn't belong. And my friend was just telling me this. And man, my heart was just weeping inside of me. And those words keep just resounding in my heart. That, man, that, that people in the world think that, that God is against them. That the message that is coming out of our lips and our lives uh, is that God is not for them. And yet, for all of us who are Christians, that wasn't the message that changed our lives. It wasn't the true gospel message. And yet somewhere along the lines, the message that changed us, it's not coming out of us. Do you guys realize that, that our lives, that our time on earth that, that we get to be a part of helping many people come to know Jesus Christ. That we get to spend our lives doing way more than just being accountants and school teachers. That we get to spend our lives doing, doing way more than just watching a football game and hanging out with our friends. That all those things are good and I love all those things, but you realize that, that we get to be a part of helping people come to know Jesus. 
And I believe it's only when the same message that changed us starts to come out of us that we'll find ourselves like the shepherds, that the people around us are amazed at the goodness of God. When our lives start projecting the the gospel message. Let's keep going. I want to finish up here. It says in verse 19, it says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just that they had been told. And, you know, I love this picture of, of Mary treasuring, of Mary pondering these things in her heart. I do this all the time with my kids. I'll uh, be, they'll be doing something in the floor and I'll just go, man, I don't want to forget this moment. So I take a picture, I write it in my journal, or I just kind of ask God, help me not to forget this sweet moment. Like this idea of treasuring is is soaking in, is remembering, thinking deeply about. And I was asking myself, what was it that Mary was treasuring in this moment? What was she pondering as she's sitting in this little stable all by herself with just her and Joseph? What was she treasuring as she's holding Jesus? And I think she was treasuring all the ways that God was bringing people to Jesus and that she got to be a spectator. You know, so picture this. Mary and Joseph are, uh, Joseph's in his hometown, but, but this is a foreign town to Mary. Can you imagine being in this, in this little city where, where no one knows you? Being in this little barn and here Mary is holding Jesus and then all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. And it's these grungy shepherds that smell bad. And she opens the door. Could you imagine the shock in her eyes? What are you doing here? Who are you? Oh, that... We were out in some fields and some angels showed up to us and told us that a savior has been born, that there's a baby. Is that him? Could you imagine what this would have been like for Mary? These strangers show up on her door. Or you read the story in Matthew chapter one, or Matthew chapter two, I encourage you to go read the story, the the visit of the, the wise men these men who lived in a foreign country. And could you imagine what it was like when these guys showed up in robes and they knocked on the door and she opened the door and she said, who in the world are you? A star rose and the star settled over your house. We've been traveling for months to meet this baby. What? <laughs> and as she's holding her baby, like just picture this, she's, she's sitting down like, rocking Jesus and these three men from the Middle East show up and they're bowing down to her baby with gifts of frankincense and gold and myrrh. And I love this story. I, I love that, that Mary was treasuring this and I want to uh, suggest that, that this is what we'll get to spend the rest of our lives doing. That, that should we choose to keep journeying with God in the context of a church family, that that should you choose to, to t- keep taking advantage of, of getting to know the people around you and taking a little risk and asking them to lunch, that, that should you choose to keep engaging in a house church, that you will spend the rest of your life watching as God brings people to Jesus right in front of you.
You know, this is where I want us to end today. I've talked long enough. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, what does it look like for us to live differently in this season because of this story? I'll give us three words to, to take to communion, to take into the rest of the week, that, that we are a pondering people, we are a praising people, we are a proclaiming people. We are a pondering people, we are a praising people, and we are a proclaiming people. For those of you who are Christians, I want to invite you over the, the next week, I want you to, to think about the work of God in your life. I want you to think about all the ways that God has moved Dale to, to bring you to Jesus. And Lisa, and Christopher, and Lauren. Think about, ponder this, treasure all the ways that God has pursued your heart, Nicole. Ponder these things, Christians. Ponder them. The second thing I want to invite you to do is to praise him this season. We are living right now in the joy of the salvation of our God. That we are not walking in condemnation. We are walking in freedom, in joyful expectancy. And I want to invite you, this idea of praising, I want to invite you to, to think about what is, is one thing that you will do this week? Write this question down. What is one thing that you will do this week to help you live more a life of praise? What is one thing that you will do this week to help you live more of a life of praise? You know, for some of you, maybe it's um, instead of uh, on your way home from work or on your way home to uh, wherever you're from for Christmas, that instead of listening to NPR or 104.5 The Zone or whatever you're listening to, that you would listen to some songs of worship and that you wouldn't just listen, but that you would sing along. Or maybe for some of you, it's that, that you would carve out five minutes every day just to, to take out a pen and paper and to, to thank God for the things that you are, are grateful for in your life. It's going to be different for all of us, but I just want to invite you to think about what's one thing that you'll do to help you live more of a life of praise. And then the third thing I want us to think about is those of you who follow Jesus is, is this, this idea that we are proclaiming people. In this season, who needs to know who Jesus really is and what he's come to do? And will you invite them to worship with us next Sunday? And will you, when, when God opens the door for, for you to keep speaking, to keep blessing, to share the message with those people all around you who don't believe in Jesus, will you step through that door? As we take communion, I want to invite you to think about these things that we're pondering and proclaiming and praising people. And for those of you who are not followers of Jesus, I just want to invite you to, to today take a step towards Jesus. For some, this just means re-examining some of the mysterious moments in your life. For some, it's seeking him in prayer when reading scripture or in going to get coffee with someone in your life that is a believer and, and just asking questions and listening. 
Or maybe you come here this morning and, and you believe that, that something has clicked. That, that you understand who Christ is and you want to walk with him. And I just invite you to, to become his today. Align your life with him. May the joy of discovering Jesus fill our church and our lives and our city for the rest of our days. Let's pray.